Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. The With God Life. The with God life. Anybody grateful that because of Jesus we can have a life now that is lived with God? You know, Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, uh, he said that, which I'm pretty confident all of us here, I'm looking around, are Gentiles according to scriptural terms. But he said that we as Gentiles were without God in our world because we didn't have a covenant with Him. The old covenant was made with the nation of Israel. And I'm so grateful that in Jesus, right, whether Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, there's access, access back to our Creator who wants to be the everlasting Father to our heart, right, and the perfect good shepherd for our feet. And Jesus is worthy today, amen? Some of you need to let your face know He's worthy this morning. Amen. He's worthy. It's okay to smile. Right? Praise the Lord. You know, Michelle and I were sitting on the porch um, yesterday and we were grateful for the sun, warm it enough. And she mentioned about the... the we have large pine trees all, all around us and she mentioned about their movement and how much they sway to the left and to the right. And uh, I affirmed her, it gets dangerous. It's dangerous when you look at a tree that does not sway. Because what that means is it's dead. There's no longer life coming up to the top. The dead trees don't sway. It's the ones that are alive that can. And, uh, you know, some have reinterpreted Jesus' words in Matthew when he created the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the flexible for they shall not snap. They shall not snap. Meaning, in Christ, there's a liberty of flexibility. Right? When do we snap? Well, when we, when we have not been drawing from His life and believing that He's bigger and greater than the things that's outside of our hands that we weren't expecting. Amen? So, you know, it's another thing in worship. You say, why people start swaying? Oh, because life is getting stirred on the inside of them. The ones that concern me are the stiff ones. I say, oh no. Oh, don't let them snap. Well, I'm grateful for Jesus today. He's worthy. You know, never forget there's a lot of things that are connected to Jesus, but they are not... Jesus. For instance, what we're doing here in this moment is gathering, but gathering is not the same as Jesus. What we're experiencing right here is the church, the the gathered group of people who have been called out of darkness into light. But that is not Jesus. I say all that to say is that there's a lot of things that you and I can find sort of disappointment in or we can encounter difficulties in relating or regarding or connected to Jesus. 
but never get that confused with Jesus Himself. See, there are all of life as a follower of Jesus is connected back to Jesus. But never get Jesus confused with those things that are connected to Him. People are connected to Him, right? People you might have difficulties with, they might let you down, but that's not Jesus. Your experience of a gathering or your experience of the church, there might be things that disappoint you, but that is not Jesus. There are things connected to Jesus that aren't perfect that we engage in, but never confuse that with Jesus. And if you'll learn that, if you'll, because He is supreme, He is worthy, He is perfect, He does all things good. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm excited about Jesus today. And if you haven't determined or figured that out yet, I don't know if there's hope for you this morning on understanding my message. But nevertheless, I'm going to pray for you. And we'll believe God for help. I want to read up front several scriptures. The first being Matthew 15, verse 10. Matthew 15, verse 10, these are the words of Jesus. He said, when He had called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, hear and understand. Hear and understand. Then Proverbs 4 and verse 1. Hear, my children the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. Then Colossians 2 and verse 2. Paul writes that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and obtaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. And then lastly, James chapter 3 verse, and understanding among you, let him or her show by good conduct that his or her works are done in the meekness of wisdom. I want to teach a message today titled Kingdom Understanding. Will you say that with me? Kingdom Understanding. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather in your presence because of Jesus, because you demonstrated and proved your love, your care, your watchful eye over us by sending him He became the door. He became access back to you. And Lord, we now marvel in your graciousness. We marvel in your grace and your covenant and your goodness. Lord, I bless each and every person here. I pray that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would flourish in their lives. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done. That you would continue to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus. It's in His name I pray. Amen. I don't know if you ever had a moment like this. I have several times throughout life. Maybe you can relate. But the other day, I got to the point where it just hit me. It just clicked. It just hit me. It was like it welled up within me. No. No. Enough. Enough. No, you do not understand. If you did understand... I would not have to keep telling you the same thing. You ever had a moment like that? I see the mothers responding quickly to that. Because this was in regards to a conversation I had with one of my children. And the more actual parallel that burned in my heart. See, regarding people I've counseled over the years, or when you think about the process of mentoring people, 
or pastoring and leading people on the journey of following Jesus, oftentimes you realize that so many people know, but they do not understand. See, you can know something, but if you don't understand it, it doesn't affect your response. It doesn't affect how you live. It doesn't affect your action and reaction. I've known several things in life, and yet knowing that didn't change how I lived. Knowing that didn't change how I responded. Now listen to me. I don't want you to take what I'm saying wrongly up front, so let me be very clear. Knowing is important. The knowledge of God's will is important. But it's not enough, friend. Let me talk first about the knowledge of His will for a moment. In Hosea 4, 6, there was a difficult... God's old covenant people. And it was difficult because they had strayed from the knowledge of God's will. They began to walk in spiritual adultery and because they began to resist the knowledge of His will, through the prophet God says that there was no truth in the land and there was no mercy in the land. And the effect of it was coming upon the next generation and the generations to come. In Hosea 4, 6, maybe you're familiar with it, God says to the prophet, My people, notice this, not not the people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being a priest for me. Meaning, because they didn't know the will of God or rejected the knowledge of God's will, they could not live out the purpose God had for them. So, knowledge of God's will is important. It is true that God's people can still be destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. You can be God's child here this morning. You could have been raised up in the church and yet you could still be experiencing destruction in areas of your life right now. Because of lack of knowledge, God says, my people are destroyed. I, in my observation and study of Western historical Christianity, I have come to the conclusion that the majority of Western Christians do not have a sufficient apostolic foundation regarding the new covenant in God's eternal purpose. See, Western Christianity comes out of what, if you know historical Christianity, the Reformation with Martin Luther. And through Martin Luther, God began to restore biblical truth. At the time, those who were God's people or those that were interested in God's Word or around the church, they only heard preaching in Latin. And they didn't know Latin. It would be like me just getting up here speaking in tongues the entire time. And you don't know the interpretation of the language I'm speaking. And Paul says you couldn't be edified because you don't understand it. And so because the people came and they were listening to a language they didn't understand, the priest could say anything he wanted. The church could practice anything they wanted because the people didn't have the knowledge of God's will. So through Martin Luther, there became a restoration of a primary truth of God's Word that humans, we are justified with God through faith in Christ alone, not through our penitent works. That it is by 
grace through faith alone in Christ alone that you and I are made right with God. The issue the restoration of that truth when there were a multitude of truths that needed to be restored to God's people. In fact, a great observation I've heard a, a pastor of mine in the past make note of is that oftentimes denominations just tell you where people have stopped or left off in the reformation that God was doing. The Lutherans stopped with Lutheran. Then you had the Baptists. They began to restore the, the important emphasis of Scripture that it's not water baptism as an infant because an infant can't express repentance and sincere faith. So you have the Baptists. Then you had the Methodists. said, well, there's more than just being born again and water baptized. It's also a method of how we're to gather and how we're to be discipled. And then you see that. My point is, is there are many, and maybe some here today, or many that you know around you or those in Western Christianity, that understand that we cannot earn through our works forgiveness of sins and earn a right relationship with God, but that's all we know. And we're missing more of what Scripture calls the apostolic foundation of what the new covenant is about. And when this foundation is lacking, what happens is, is you find people called to work with the Lord according to His eternal purpose. That yes, we're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works we do with the Lord. That you and I are not saved just to sit. We are saved so that we can go and live on mission. Can I hear an amen? So friends, hear and understand. We are not justified just so we can live our own life. We have been presented with a gift in hopes that we would present our life back as a gift. 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. We do not work for right standing, but from the position of being in right standing, we work. Titus 2.14 and 15 says that God redeemed us so that we would become zealous for good works. Oh, I hope you're a zealot this morning. A zealot to be a part of the labor with God in His kingdom. See, as followers of Jesus, we work with God. What that means is, is we work in accordance to His eternal purpose and plan. But we don't just work with God, we also work by God. Meaning, He provides grace. He provides us with the supernatural empowerment. Ain't that good? In going to work. And the boss telling you, okay, I need you to accomplish this. I need you to take care of the accounting. I need you to, to make sales calls. And then they don't give you any access to any computers, any phones. How are you going to carry out the work without some help? But the Father, Jesus sent a helper, the Holy Spirit. There's a power of the Spirit of grace. Hallelujah. So this work, is what Scripture calls the fruits of righteousness. They flow out of and flow from you and I being in right standing through our trust and faith in Christ alone. So the point is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand you're called to fruitfulness. You are 
Meaning, there's an expectation that fruitfulness would blossom in your life. That fruitfulness would be sown through your life. That fruitfulness would hang on your life. That you would be first in line for a Fruit of the Loom commercial. I mean, you just got so much fruit hanging on you. I mean, you're the grape, you're the orange, you're all of it. You got the fruit of God flowing out of your life. Hallelujah. So I'm from Kentucky and there's a Fruit of the Loom factory in Kentucky. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, we have been cleansed from our sins so that Christ, in a way that we can be cleansed from our past, so that we can become a clean vessel for the Holy One to be able to live within, so that He can live through. So listen, when we talk about the knowledge of His will, what we're saying here in this main first point is we're not saved by works, but we are saved to work. And these works are kingdom works. They're works that are related to God's purpose. It's not just working a job we're talking about. We're talking about kingdom works. Now when you get a kingdom understanding, if you're working where God wants you to work, then that becomes a kingdom work, not just the job. That becomes a way to become fruitful for the Lord. So I want to ask you this question. Do you confuse not having to work for your justification, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We don't want to confuse those two. We can't work to be in right standing with God, but once we're in right standing with God, there's an exhortation that we would work out the potential of that salvation with fear and trembling. That there would be a reverence that you and I would remember we're called to fruitfulness. We're called to a with God type of life. Hallelujah. Amen. And Scripture, through the Apostle Peter, gives us a warning. And this warning in 2 Peter 1.8 is a sober warning. And here's what this warning says. It says, believe it or not, that a person can be barren or unfruitful while having the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Meaning, a person can have the knowledge that Jesus is Lord. A person can have the knowledge that He is the one sent from the Father. A person, you and I can have the knowledge that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And yet, having that knowledge, we can still be unfruitful or barren. Wow. So though it is true that a lack of knowledge can destroy, it is also true that just having knowledge without understanding can destroy as well. Now, this brings us to our main scriptures I read up front. Matthew 15.10 When He had called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, Hear and understand. Now, notice what He didn't say. He didn't say, that's what so much of Western Christianity has unfortunately been about. Lacking the apostolic understanding. Of course, our Forerunner our, forerunner, our high apostle, Jesus Christ. And then he called people like the apostle Paul and the twelve to himself. But so many think that Christianity is about hear and know. No, no, no. Jesus said hear 
and understand. Meaning when you and I gather to the, in the gathering, when you and I come to the Scriptures, we should come to hear to understand, not just hear to know. Then Proverbs 4 and verse 1 says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention. Everybody say, give attention. To know understanding. You and I are not paying attention to what we hear. You hear me say time and time again that biblical Christianity is not a call to passivity. It's a call to engagement. God's not looking for robots. God's not looking for AI. He is looking for you and I, living creatures that He made, that we live a with God kind of life. That there still is a my role factor. There still is a role you and I have to play in the call of God. And part of what God calls us to give to Him is our attention. Our attention. People say, oh, you know, Pastor Chad, people nowadays, they don't have an intention span. Well, let me tell you about God's design. If you learn to give God your attention, then He'll give you back the capacity to be able to give others your attention. This is God's design. He says, give attention. Then Colossians 2 and verse 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Ain't that amazing? Paul prayed for the church. And it's a prayer that he would, if he was here today, still pray for you and I in dwelling place Woodstock. That there's a full assurance of understanding. I don't know about you, but I like a full meal. Right? Like I'm not, if you invite me over, I'm not just coming over for some snacks. If you invite me over for dinner... I expect a full dinner. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you didn't say we we're going to have dinner, then I'm not obligating no one. I don't, I don't rule with a heavy hand. But if you invite me over some, some little pellets, some little niblets, or giblets, that's what Zachary likes the word, giblets. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, no, no. A full meal. Paul says, listen, there's a full understanding available for you and I. We don't have to live this life in the new covenant just wondering, maybe that's what it means. No, no, there's a full assurance for you and I. Full assurance. And then James 3 and 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him or her show by good conduct that his or her works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's a powerful scripture because you know what it tells us? Understanding is shown. You might know what you know, but you show what you understand. But I show and demonstrate what I understand. So there is the knowledge of His will. Knowledge is important, but it's not sufficient. There is a need of understanding. But when it comes to understanding, there's a role you and I play. We need to learn to hear, to understand, shown, and giving attention is required. Now let me talk about how to receive understanding. 
Well, look at Proverbs 4 and verse 1. It says, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. When you and I want to receive understanding, the first thing that Scripture instructs us in is to hear. Hear. You have to put yourself in context like you're doing today. I celebrate your choice. But you have to put yourself in context to hear the Word of God. To hear the teachings of Jesus Christ. To hear the Scriptures and the sayings of God. You have to hear. Secondly, then you have to give attention to what you hear. We're going to see today repeatedly that if you don't give attention to what you hear, you will forget and lose what you have heard. If you and I don't give attention to what we hear, we will lose what it is then we have heard. you got to give attention. Third, to meditate on what you have heard. You have to continually think upon, mull it over, rehearse on the inside your inner dialogue, the Word of God. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 49 and 3. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall give understanding. If you don't understand something regarding God's will, if you don't understand something you're going through, if you don't understand something from God's Word, it's going to require meditation. It's going to require you give attention attention to it by meditating upon it, by thinking upon it, by constantly dwelling on it in the light of God's Word and in the reality of His presence that is with you. So watch this. Before there is wisdom upon the tongue, there is meditation in the heart. I'll say it again. Before there is wisdom on the tongue, there is meditation in the heart. So there's hearing, there's give attention to, there's meditation, and then fourthly, the point that after you have heard and after you've given attention and prioritized it and you've meditated upon it, that you have to act upon it. You have to do. And those who do, understand. See, by you doing the exhortation of gathering with other believers, you can understand why the Lord calls us to that more than a brother and sister who doesn't do and gather with other believers. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalms 1, 11, and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. So you have to do. Next, how you receive understanding is by faith. Sometimes in areas, understanding comes through this relational trust. This relational trust that's not dependent on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the ages, history, were framed by the Word of God. Meaning faith gives us an understanding, a worldview that an unbeliever can access by faith. So hearing, giving attention, meditation, you have to do, and then there's the role of faith. Now let me talk about the place and the role 
of eyes and ears. Will you say eyes and ears with me? Eyes and ears. Sounds like a great, great children's song that we could write. Instead of knees and toes, how about eyes and ears? Passages of Scripture to us this morning. You can follow along. They'll put it on the screen. But in Matthew 13 and verse 12, For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Can I tell you that healing's available? The healer is still healing today, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, socially. For your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Verse 18 of Matthew 13. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, which is away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who understands the word. And, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold. Some 60, some 30. Here Jesus talks about the word of the kingdom. Now listen, there's no such thing as a kingdom without a king. And you do not need a king if there's not a domain, if there is not anyone seeking to take it. So what Jesus is saying here is the message of the kingdom and the word of the kingdom, the message of God about the kingdom concerns that there are kings, there is a domain, and there's a battle taking place. This is what Jesus is saying. Hear and understand that there is a battle. And there are kings. He mentions in this parable about tribulation, affliction, and persecution. Did you see it in Matthew 13, 20? He said there's people who receive the seed, the message of the kingdom, the word of God. They hear the word and immediately they receive it with joy. They have an emotional response. Yet this person has no root in themselves, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he 
stumbles. Listen, the Word of God brings persecution and affliction. When you hear the Word of God, you're hearing an aspect of the message of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says you need to understand that when you hear it, there is a battle. So once you hear it, and immediately there's an enemy against the word that you have heard. Immediately there's an enemy against the potential of what a with God life can do in your life. With what living with God, what kind of fruitfulness it can lead to in your life. So when you hear the Word of God, the enemy's going to come because of the Word's sake to try to distract you. Here he speaks of persecution and tribulation and how many allow the resistance from Satan and his kingdom to stop them from becoming fruitful. So how do you receive understanding? You do not let tribulation and persecution stop you. You understand that when you have a message of the kingdom, that means there is a king. And you don't need a king if there's not a domain, if there's not a battle taking place and someone trying to be after it. You understand that. Secondly, Jesus mentions distractions. He says in Matthew 13, 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. Cares of this world, cares of this world, he doesn't say sin here, chokes the word. Here he just says that the common cares that you and I face and have as we experience and live life can choke the word. Here's two important points for us to never forget by the help of the Lord. What you give attention to grows. You know why some of the plants you bought died? Because you didn't give enough attention to them. What you give attention to grows. Secondly, what you give attention to, you pursue. You pursue. Here, Jesus talks about the cares of the world. Listen to me. We are to care. We're to be caring people. We're not called to be flippant and not care about people and pain and wars and difficulties on the earth. We're to care. But what Jesus is saying is, is that caring becomes an issue when it chokes the manifestation of the Word on the inside of us. He's not telling us not to care about things. He's warning us that we can care about things in a way that keeps us from being able to be fruitful regarding the things we care about or regarding His kingdom. Paul, he writes an interesting chapter in 1 Corinthians 7. And he starts dealing with marriage and singleness. 
And his whole underlying heart in this text is about, bless you, living in a way of serving the Lord without distraction. He says, look, if you want to get married in the Lord, then get married in the Lord. He says, if you want in the Lord to stay single, then stay single in the Lord. But his underlying thing is is that we're living at the end of the days. Now he said this in his time, how much more are we? He said, therefore we should live in a way that we're able to serve the Lord, a with God life, without distraction. Now Proverbs tells me, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. When God thinks about my wife regarding me, he says, that's a good thing. And I say, amen, that's a good thing. But Paul is saying, I can't allow even a good thing to become a type of care that keeps me from being fruitful in a with God type of life. And what this means is, is as a disciple, we're a learner. You and I are constantly having to learn. And this type of learning requires intentionality. It it requires a diligence. It requires Effort. It requires giving attention to. It requires us growing in godly habits and character. It requires a constant reorientation. It requires a balance that can only come from the spirit of wisdom. That we engage in things God's called us to, like marriage and having children, but we engage in those things in a way that doesn't choke the Word of Christ being fruitful in and through us. Paul, when he talks about himself, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 1 and 12 about this simplicity kind of life. And it's interesting because if you look at Paul's life, you and I in our normal sort of standard would say there's nothing simple about that man's life. But Paul wasn't saying that everything circumstantial or all that he does in his life is simple. He's saying was this simplicity. Meaning, there's an availability for you and I in Jesus that though we have many things connected to Jesus in our life, Those of us that are married, we have the marriage responsibility. Those that have children, children responsibility. Those of us that are working, we have work. We have a social responsibility. We have relational responsibilities. We have financial stewardship before God. We have all kinds of things that are connected to Jesus. But in Jesus, there's a simplicity available that undergirds all of these things we care about and should care about. In fact, if you look up simplicity in the dictionary, it means the state or quality of being free from complexity and free from having a division into parts. Meaning, in Christ, there is this simplicity available that though we have many things in life, In Christ, there is a simplicity, there's a a singleness, a simplicity that can hold all of that together in such a way that we're not distracted 
from our calling of being fruitful in a with God kind of life. Now you say that sounds like a, a Disney nonfiction story. That sounds like a fantasy, Pastor Chad. Listen, just because something sounds like a fantasy to our ears because we've never seen or experienced it personally doesn't mean that the grace of God and the kingdom of God hasn't made it available for us. And part of this simplicity kind of life in Jesus comes about as we learn biblical godly habits. So I want to ask you and I this question. What do we do with our cares? Scripture never, never gives the stance or the metaphor or the feeling that we should be careless with things. We shouldn't be careless with people. We shouldn't be, live a careless life. But Scripture, in what Paul's saying, with this simplicity, with this serving the Lord without distraction, does put before us this type of carefree living. Not that we don't care, but we care in a way that it doesn't weigh us down, but it frees us up. How do you and I Experience that. What do we do with our cares? Well, watch this, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves. First, you and I have to humble ourselves that in our own sufficiency and ability, we don't know how to create this simplicity in a complex world. We don't know how to find one person or one thing, Jesus and His kingdom, that undergirds all the things that we're to care about. Therefore, we take the posture of a learner. That's humility. We position ourselves before God. And here's what he says, look. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's one hand. And yet the one hand has complexity. But it's still one hand. There's five fingers, there's joints, ligaments, arteries, but there's, it's one hand. Under the one mighty hand of God, there's still many cares that we have and responsibilities, but His hand is big enough to undergird and bring sufficiency and stability in all those areas. So, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Watch this. That He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Listen. The fact that you care about things is because you're made in the image of God. And God cares for you. He cares for you. And His care is so great for you, He calls you to come to Him and realize that His hand is strong enough and sufficient enough to hold and care, carry everything that you care about. But if you and I keep it in a way in our life that's unhealthy, we haven't yet freed ourselves from that unhealthy type care. Type care. 
You believe the gospel that He cares so deeply about you that you can cast what you care about into His mighty hand and His mighty hand is able to hold it together. His mighty hand is able to undergird it. You cast and whose hand is mighty. Whose hand is able. So what's He saying? He's saying you get a mighty prayer life. Because we have access to the mighty hand of God. And we keep throwing what we care about in prayer onto the mighty hand. If you kept stacking things in my hand, that hand's going to slowly... At first it might just be a little degree, go south and drop low. But it's constantly going down. Oh, God's hand never falters. Never begins to tremble with weakness. He is able to hold consistently and perfectly and carefully everything that you're willing, that you care about, to cast into His hand. Then Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of riches. Among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Listen, we are to acquire money, but acquiring money becomes an issue when it chokes the manifestation of the word on the inside of us. We are called men who are married to take care of the family as the bearing the image of the Father. So we are called to acquire money to meet the needs of those that God has entrusted to us. But acquiring money becomes an issue when it chokes the manifestation of His Word on the inside of us. Meaning... We have to grow in understanding and grow in character and grow in our trust in the Lord and develop godly habits that allow us to be able to pursue and acquire money for what we're responsible for, but in a way that it doesn't choke the Word and Christ on the inside of us and keep us from being fruitful in a with God life. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 11, that there are many believers who in their pursuit harm themselves. But Paul doesn't say that there's not available a pursuit in God that doesn't harm yourself. It's available. Because there are many people that God's primarily prevalence and the wisdom and the life experience He's given them to go make staggering amounts of money and capital to fund kingdom work. You know, the last I checked, friends, orphanages can't be built free. The last I checked that those that are hungry can't be fed without money. And so the issue, though, 
is in the acquiring and the pursuing if it's done in a way that keeps us from kingdom fruitfulness. Now, none of us start off with that type of spiritual understanding and character unless you come from a legacy of kingdom-minded, mature followers of Jesus that taught you biblical understanding about money and pursuit and godliness. And I've yet to meet people that started off that way. So we are learners again. See, Paul said the issue is, is when people think that, that godliness and following Jesus automatically equates to riches. He said, no, no, no. That's a complete perversion of the gospel. Meaning, you can still be horrible with money and be poor. And there are people that don't have a relationship with their Creator who actually, whether they know it or not, employ biblical uh, truths about money and they're great with money. And they make a lot of money. Meaning, whether you make and know how to acquire a lot of money or not doesn't equate whether you're godly or not, is what Paul's saying there. But Paul is not saying that you and I can't pursue making money. What he's saying is we can't pursue it in a way that keeps us from being fruitful and we can't pursue it in a way that makes us think the more money we get is because the more godly we are. No, no, no. I'm trying to tell some of you believers that you have allowed poverty mindsets and you have allowed your upbringing and you have allowed people to tell you that there's not more available for you. There is. And the more available for you don't make you more godly. It just means, though, that if you learn more financially person, you can employ it for more godly purposes. Amen. Then he concludes in Matthew 13, 23, he says, But he who receives seed on the good ground, everybody say good ground, is he who hears the word and understands. Do you see the main distinction between all of the different soils representing people's hearts and people's posture and people? It's the one who understands does what? Indeed bears fruit. See, all the others don't have an understanding about how to deal with the cares of life. The others don't have an understanding of how to deal with the deceitfulness of riches. The others don't have an understanding of how to deal with the persecution and affliction and tribulation that comes from the Word. But the one who understands is the one who indeed bears fruit. And what kind of fruit? Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let me talk now about understanding our kingdom calling. Everybody say, bears fruit. In Ephesians 1 and 18, we, if you've been in transformation phase and growth phases, you know we encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to, to pray this consistently in your life because this was Paul's prayers for the Ephesians and it's still a prayer for every believer. And here's what he says, that the eyes of your what? Understanding. Being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? What's he saying? But it is insufficient. Maybe the majority of you know that you have a calling. You have a purpose in Christ. That's why you're still here. Right? That once you got saved, He didn't rapture you to be with Him. 
that there's a with God type of life now that you're called to. And most of you say, I know I'm called, but I want to tell you that's good, but it's insufficient. Because knowing you're called is important, but it's insufficient. You must understand your calling. You must move beyond just the knowledge that you're called to understanding that you're called. Because what did Jesus say? Who are those that bear fruit? It wasn't those who know. It was those who understand. How about this one, Ephesians 5 and 17? Therefore do not be unwise, but understand. Everybody say understand. What the will of the Lord is. See, knowing the will of the Lord is important, but it's insufficient. You must understand what the will of the Lord is. You're called to be a disciple. Be complacent. A follower can't be complacent. The moment you're complacent, you're no longer following. The moment you're no longer following, the the moment you're no longer a growing disciple. And the more the good grace and provisions God has for you and wants you to experience. Now what did Jesus tell the disciples that He chose to be with Him in ministry? John 15, 16, read it with me. He says, you did not choose me. Boy, has this scripture ever been perverted so much by Calvinists and people? It's in context here is talking about those that He in the moment chose to be with Him in ministry. This is not about a lake of fire and eternity and kingdom. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He had a multitude of disciples. But out of that group, he chose, he chose 12 to be with him. And he says to them, before his passion and before his betrayal, before his crucifixion, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Everybody say, bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. You and I have a kingdom calling to fruitfulness. To fruitfulness. We are called to fruitfulness. I want to read the whole passage. You can follow along if you want. But in John 15, John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, self. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Wow. That those who understand bear fruit 
What kind of fruit? 30, 60, 100. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 30, 60, 100. So we are called to fruitfulness. And fruitfulness starts off with bearing fruit. But then those who understands who bears fruit understands then you're called to what? To become complacent? No. Then you're called to more fruit. Then once you reach more fruit, 60-fold, are you to become complacent? You understand the word of the kingdom. You're called to much fruit, a hundredfold. Why do you think Paul said that we're not just called, but within our calling, there's a high calling? I don't know about you. I never was good in math, but I know a hundredfold is more than thirtyfold. And I know a hundredfold is more than sixtyfold. There's a high calling for you. And I'm speaking to some of you right now prophetically. I sense it in the name of Jesus that you have borne fruit and you have had fruit, but you need to understand God's got a high calling for you. God's got more fruitfulness for your life. And the season and the things that you've been facing is because God is wanting or has been using them to prune you. When God moves and desires to move you into more fruit, there comes a pruning. Because you're called to fruitfulness. But in fruitfulness, there's 30... See, he prunes. I looked up the word prune definition. It didn't start off good because the first thing it said was a fruit. You know that kind of prune? I ain't talking about that kind of prune. But then you go to the second part. It tells us what we're after. It says to cut undesired twigs. Branches or roots to trim, to rid or clear of anything undesirable, to remove that which is undesirable. To prune. It's amazing. We have some trees that bear types of fruit where we live. And it's amazing to see the difference between those that get pruned and those that have not been pruned. One of the ways that God prunes us is that first God is looking for disciples who just understand enough that we are justified not by works, but we are justified so that now we can work. And they just get working with God. If a chair needs to be put up, they put a chair up. If, if groceries need to be taken to someone, they take groceries to someone. They just start sharing their faith to anyone who will listen. You find them even preaching to the dogs and cats. I mean, they just work in place. It's like some of our kids, after we get them hyped up on sugar, because they learned their memory verse, amen, and then we send them home with you, parents, to prune you of those bad attitudes and our shortness of breath. No, 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 listen. There's all kinds of activity. And there's fruit, but the amount of kingdom fruit, even though there's a lot of activity, is just 30. So the Lord's got to prune some of the activity because in the kingdom, it's not always about more activity. It's about a more focused, Spirit-directed work. And out of the Spirit-directed work, more fruit actually comes. See, when I prune a tree, it allows the life in the tree 
to focus more on where it needs to flow. And because now that life, that sap is more focused, it can actually lead to more fruit. Because the parts that's unnecessary have been cut away. And this is what Jesus is saying about understanding the kingdom. Is that most of you, I know you, I can see some of you, the light's a little different today, I can't really see the back much. But, but I know most of you, that there's been some fruit. There's been activity. But you need to understand the word of the kingdom. And you might not be called to keep doing the way you've been working or serving. There is a pruning so that the Lord then can get more fruitfulness out of your life. Most people understand that if you run a business, 80% of your productivity and profits will come out of 20% of what you actually do. And it's that 20% focus excellent, clear task that leads to 80% of production. This is, what, this is part of what pruning's about. Pruning about. It's not that I don't care anymore. It's that when pruning happens, I will have learned to cast my cares upon the Lord so that His hand can deal with things that my hand don't have time or the ability to change, but that I then can focus on the things God's hand has been put on my hand to minister to and bring life to. Prunes. A part of the pruning that he takes us through is learning to deal with hard things. In 2 Peter 3.16, look at this scripture with me. It says, and also in all his epistles, this is Peter writing about Paul, speaking in them of these things in which are some hard things to understand. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I've had many things in life that are just hard to understand. I've had scriptures that are hard to understand. I've had things about God and the ways of God and the work in God that are initially hard to understand. See yourself in this text. In which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and as they do also the rest of scriptures. So the first thing I want to mention regarding this scripture is there are some hard things to understand at first. Just like if I gave a calculus book to a six-year-old, it's hard for them to understand at first, but it doesn't mean that they can't ever understand it. And you and I, listen, are going to face hard things, and the reason they're hard is because we've never faced them before. Of course they're hard. You've never faced this season before. You weren't married before, now you're a newlywed. You didn't have kids before, now you have a kid. You've never faced this before. Your job has transitioned. You've never faced this before. Some of you have moved and you've moved to Woodstock in this area and you're part of this church. And you've never been and lived in Woodstock in this area before. That's hard things and they're hard because we've never faced it before. And it's okay. All things are not to be easy at first. God has not called His people to ignore and run from hard things. He's given us access to His grace and the power of it and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to face and to be able to do hard things. Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless that one right there. Bless them, Lord. Double portion. Listen, much just seems hard at first, 
Because we've never done them. And the thing is, Paul in Scripture never says that he knew from the beginning the fullness of the high calling, a hundredfold fruitfulness, what it looked like in his life. But as he just worked with God and as he moved forward, then the Lord pruned as is necessary. What I'm saying is there's very few people I've ever met that God has shown them the full end of the picture from the beginning. But God knows what He's called us to. He knows what He's called you to. He knows the kingdom calling upon your life. And because He alone knows the full picture, He alone knows how we need to face certain hard things in prune places in our life so that that fruitfulness of His calling comes forth. And you say, well, that's not easy. We, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, can face and learn to do hard things. And is that not where our culture is just disingrating and just being devastated? Because there has become this cultural expectation and mentality in young and old that we're never to face or have to deal with or go through hard things. You know, because we live in a fallen world, every good thing can bring a cursed thing with it. The prosperity of our nation has brought a cursed thing with it. The lie that we can't face or never called to face or can't do hard things. But you know what? Generations before us, they didn't get a vote. They were thrust into seasons and circumstances like the Great Depression and world wars. And they learned. Because we, God's made us, that when we have to, we can find a way to Jesus. How much more can you and I be used in a with God life that says to the culture around us, I know it's not easy. We're not called to easy street. But with God and a with God life, by His grace in Jesus, we can learn to face and to do hard things. And you know what's amazing? Is sometimes then what used to be a hard thing no longer is a hard thing. You've learned to do it. We're going to see here in a couple hours, right down at the end of this, strip mall, we're going to see people, people, where some basketball is still a hard thing and others have learned and it's no longer so much so hard. We're going to have a prophetic demonstration of this part of the message. For some, it's still going to be hard to dribble. Others, it's no longer hard. They're going to be dribbling between their legs, behind their back. I'm hoping to jump off someone's back and dunk the ball. I just got to get through this message so we can get there. Here's the point. We are His ambassadors. We, we as God's people are called to go first and this generation's crying out. This, this world's crying out for us to go first. That because of Jesus and because of God's grace, we can not only face hard things, but we can learn to do hard things. How do we... Engage this process in dealing with hard things. First, you seek the Lord. 
when you face a heart you don't understand, something that's hard to understand first, what you do is first you seek the Lord. Proverbs 28.5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Then prayer. You not just seek the Lord, but then you seek the Lord through prayer. You remember the story of Daniel? It's a beautiful thing. Because Daniel got like some of you and I are getting. And Daniel looked around at the circumstances around him. And he began to say, wait a minute, they don't line up. Something's not lining up with what God said in His Word. There's something off. I don't understand, Lord, why your people are still going through what they're going through. And yet in your Word you said this. And that was a hard thing, but you know what he did? He began to pray. And you know what Scripture says? I love this. In Daniel 10, 12, an angel comes to Daniel. And listen what he says. Then he said to me, come on, Keys, do not fear Daniel. Do not fear Daniel, for from the first day, someone say first day, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard because we have a Father who cares, you remember? And I've come because of your words. You learn to care enough to not just keep it to yourself and try to do it by yourself and handle it by yourself. You learn to care enough to take it to the mighty hand that can always uphold that care. Heart to understand. God began moving to bring about that clarity to understanding. But there was a process. And Scripture says we all had this process of faith and patience. It wasn't the first day the angel arrived. It was the 21st day. So seek the Lord. Prayer next, teaching. When there's hard things to understand, you've got to get around teachers. That's why we have growth phases. There's hard things in Scripture. What did Peter say? That the untaught... Do what? They pervert God's Word to their own demise, to their own destruction. So when there's hard things to understand, you got to get around teachers. In Nehemiah 8.8 it says, come on band, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. God has given spiritual leadership to help us understand the hard things of the words of Jesus, the hard things of the ways of Jesus, the hard scriptures in the Word of God. And then lastly, how to deal with hard things. Jesus faced hard things and yet He succeeded every time because He was godly. He was sinless. Well, you and I, we don't start off sinless, do we? Oh no. We have to grow into the image of Jesus. But the more growth that happens, and if you're not encouraged, if you're not motivated yet through this message to move beyond knowledge to understanding, let me give you benefits of understanding and conclusion promises of God, of benefits of understanding. First, understanding becomes a wellspring of life. There's a constant spring of this life on the inside of you that understanding brings. Proverbs 16, 22, understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. You know what else is a benefit of understanding? Calmness. Proverbs 17, 27, he who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Spiritual understanding brings a calmness. Listen, you know what sometimes a hard thing is? Is our restlessness. That's a hard thing. Why am I restless? But if you'll take the hard thing and you'll run to God, He can turn that restlessness into understanding and bring about a calmness in your life.
God's after something. He's after a pruning. He sees the fruitfulness. He sees the potential. He sees the high calling. He sees how He crowned. He sees you full of glory in the power of His Spirit manifesting the works of the kingdom and the beauty of Christ, the hope of every nation. Thirdly, peace. Doesn't peace sound good in this world, in this times? He says, He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. Know what I mean? You can't hold something you don't have. So what it's saying is, is a man of understanding, a person of understanding, has peace, and therefore they're able to hold on to that peace. How about this one, being happy? I'll take a dose of happiness in a world of such strife and ugliness. Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Happy is the woman who gains understanding. then lastly, walk worthy of the Lord. And all these are things in the temporary. I'm not talking about the eternal blessings of understanding. Because I know some of you, you need encouragement right now in the midst of this pruning. I'm talking about things that will benefit you now in this life. Even though it will also bless you and benefit you in the life to come. Walk worthy of the Lord. You know what I love about my son Caleb? Is he wants to please me. I love that about you, son. And you know what, Father, whether you're conscious of the fact or not or aware of it in this moment. And notice what Colossians 1, 9 and 10 says. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, heard of it was their faith in Jesus. Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. There's not a chance in this lifetime that you and I could ever walk worthy of the Lord without being filled with spiritual understanding of what His will is. So Paul prayed that you and I would get filled with spiritual understanding because only when we're filled with spiritual understanding would we ever be able to walk worthy of the Lord. And I know you want to walk worthy of the Lord. That's a benefit of understanding. So Jesus said He got the multitude together. Today we got this multitude called the nine o'clock. D.P. Woodstock gathering together. And when He called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, Hear and understand. Hear the message of the kingdom. Understand the kingdom. Understand the calling of kingdom fruitfulness. And just get to work in the Lord's work. And understand as you do, He'll prune. Because he sees the high calling. He sees the high worth that he purchased by giving of his blood and his body for you. He sees the high potential that he's created you for. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.